It's 1981 at McDonald's Corporation headquarters outside of Chicago, Illinois. George Cohan walks through the building toward the office of McDonald's CEO Fred Turner. George is here to attend a board meeting later today, where he'll make a presentation about the continued growth of McDonald's Canada. But first, George wants to talk to Fred about something else. George's previous attempt to make McDonald's a food supplier for the Moscow Olympics failed. But George refused to give up, and today he wants Fred and the board to give him permission to return to the USSR for a bold new initiative to open the first McDonald's in Moscow. When George reaches Fred's office, the door is wide open. And inside, George can see Fred reading through the stock listings in the Chicago Tribune. Well, how's the market looking, Fred? Fred puts down his newspaper and smiles. 65 a share, almost 34% higher than how we closed out last year. Well, that's great news. Certainly is. Suddenly, a flicker of anxiety flashes across Fred's face. I'm sorry, George, did I forget we had something on the books? We have the board meeting, but do we also have a one-on-one? No, 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 no. I just wanted to talk to you beforehand in private. Well, in that case, come on in and close the door. As George takes a seat, Fred leans back and puts his hands on his head. So, what's on your mind? Well, I need you to help convince the rest of the board that I should go back to Moscow. Hearing this, Fred sighs and drops his hands. Oh, George, that's a big ask. I hear me out, though. The company stock is on the rise. We're doing well at home and abroad. It's the perfect time to take a risk. The board is gun-shy when it comes to the Soviets. We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get the Olympics going. We have nothing to show for it. This time will be different. Trust me. Well, of course I trust you. But put yourself in the board's shoes. Why should they? Because of how much money we stand to make. that's, That's if you succeed. Look, it was one thing to try to become a food supplier for the Olympics. It's an entirely different thing to set up a permanent McDonald's location in a communist country. They have no appreciation of how we do business. And if you couldn't make the Olympics work, George, what makes you sure you can do this? George leans in close. Well, my father used to say the whole world is a village. It was a thing he learned growing up in Ukraine. Chicago, it's a village. New York, Canada, the whole of the United States, they're all villages. And every person in the village wants the same thing. And what is that? To feel important. What are you getting at, George? I learned a lot during my first attempts in Moscow. Then I was putting too much faith in a handful of people on a single committee. This time, I'm going to talk to everyone. I'm going to sit down with the Ministry of Trade, the Ministry of Agriculture, the Moscow City Council, the Administration for Public Catering, everyone, anyone. I'm going to work with and win over everyone who could possibly touch this deal. Make every person in the village feel important. Exactly. So please, help me convince the board. I promise you, I won't let you down. Once again, Fred Turner put his faith in George Kohan. Fred understood that the potential international revenue that the Soviet Union had to offer was immense. So Fred did his best to rally support for George's initiative. Based on Fred's recommendation, the board set aside its concerns and agreed to once again send George back to the USSR. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. From Wondery, I'm Lindsey Graham, and this is Business Movers. In 1981, Forbes magazine named McDonald's one of the 100 most profitable U.S. companies for the first time ever. In the first quarter of 1981 alone, McDonald's posted profits of $51.6 million, over $169 million today. And the company reached record high sales of $1.6 billion, over $5 billion today. The fast food chain had opened over 1,000 international locations, and it was moving into Spain, Denmark, and Malaysia. George Kohan saw these trends as a sign that the time was right to take a risk. But George also knew he was attempting to do something that had never been done before. Nothing like McDonald's had ever existed in the USSR. George was not only trying to introduce the concept of fast food hamburgers behind the Iron Curtain, he was attempting to inject a capitalist business model into a communist country. In order to succeed, George would first have to convince Soviet officials that McDonald's was not only good for the Soviet people, but that it was good for the Soviet state. Despite the economic and political complexities involved, George was convinced that the Soviets would see the long-term benefits and that they would embrace him and his plan. So with Fred Turner's support, he drafted a proposal for the creation of the first McDonald's in the Soviet Union. Then he got ready to head back to Moscow to make his pitch. But many members of the board and McDonald's leadership frequently and openly doubted him. George heard all sorts of reasons why he would fail. The impenetrable bureaucracy, an inadequate supply chain, an incompetent Soviet workforce. The consensus view seemed to be that George's plan was doomed. But George used that skepticism as fuel. Instead of dwelling on negativity, he created a mental list of the reasons why his colleagues believed he would not succeed— and he came to see each item as a specific challenge that he was determined to overcome. Just as he had told Fred, George planned to cut his way through the red tape of Soviet bureaucracy by moving from agency to agency at the local and national levels, securing support and gaining allies along the way. But George was in for a long haul. His second foray into the USSR would last nearly 10 years. During that time, George would employ the same business strategies he had used since his days as a door-to-door salesman, but he would also learn and evolve. In his first attempt to bring McDonald's to the Moscow Olympics, George had largely been a one-man band. This time, George would bring back up a group of marketing experts. And together, George and his small but mighty team would fight to secure a deal with the Soviets and prove all of George's doubters wrong. This is the third episode in our series on George Kohan, the Wolfpack. It's early 1983 at an upscale restaurant in Moscow, 
George Kohan strides through the dining room on his way to an important meeting with a powerful official at the Soviet Ministry of Trade. For the past year, George has been working his way up the ladder at the Trade Ministry, making friends and rallying support for his proposal. But George has struggled to convince the higher-ups at the top of the ministry to back his initiative. So he set up a meeting with one of his allies, a trade official named Sevelet. George believes Sevelet has the influence to sway his colleagues, and tonight he hopes to convince him to deliver his support. As George makes his way through the restaurant, he spots Sevelet sitting in a dark corner at the back of the room. When George slides into the booth, he sets a bag on the tabletop, and immediately, Sevelet is intrigued. What's in the bag, George? A surprise. I'm not certain I like surprises. Oh, you'll like this one. George has done his research on Sevelet, who he recently learned is a music lover and musician. So George bought him a special gift, which he brought with him tonight. A stringed Russian instrument called a balalaika. What's in the bag, George? Oh, I'll tell you, but after we talk business. All right, then let's talk. George places the bag under the table, <clears throat> clears his throat slightly, and gets down to the matter at hand. Well, I've talked to people at every level in your ministry, and everyone I've talked to loves my proposal, including you, I know it. So why don't I have the ministry sign off? To speak candidly, some of my colleagues have concerns. They aren't as open as I am. They don't trust American businesses. Well, that's fine. I run a Canadian business. George, to these men, all the West is America. Well, I understand that. But opening a McDonald's in Moscow can be a great benefit to this country. It means jobs, fast, affordable food for families, and a boost to Moscow's local economy. And I don't have to tell you we have the potential to grow all across the country. No, you don't have to tell me, George. I already know. Then convince your colleagues. Help them understand the benefits. Help them see that I can be trusted, that McDonald's can be trusted. Uh, I'll do what I can, George. But I won't make any promises. Now. Cephalit flashes a smile. With business out of the way, what's in the bag? George smiles back. Then he reaches down, grabs the gift from under the table, and pulls out an oddly shaped instrument case. Sevelet's face lights up as George pops it open and takes out a beautifully crafted balalaika. Oh, George, it's wonderful. Well, it's all yours. For me, a small thank you for all your help. Well, this is very kind, George. It's the least I can do for the man who's going to deliver me the Ministry of Trade, right? Sevelet leans back in his seat. I see. You're trying to, uh, butter me up. Well, is it working? Cephalid cuts his eyes down at the instrument in George's hands. May I hold it? Of course. Beaming, Cephalid takes the balalaika in his hands. He studies the strings, colors, and contours of the instrument for a moment. Then he speaks. I will talk to my colleagues, George, and you have my word. I'll do my best to deliver their support. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, I want to hear you play. George's personal touch and his thoughtful gift had the desired effect. Cephalit used his influence to help George secure the support of the Ministry of Trade. And with that goal accomplished, George set his sights on the next target, local officials in Moscow. George needed their support to secure the real estate, permits, and licenses that were required to build his restaurant in their city. So in early 1983, George started taking meetings with several municipal agencies in Moscow but he quickly ran into a problem. The concept of a fast-food hamburger restaurant was completely foreign to most of the people he was dealing with. 
They had heard of the McDonald's brand, but they had no idea how a McDonald's operated or what benefit the restaurant could possibly have for them and their city. But George was determined to show them that McDonald's was more than just Big Macs. When George first started McDonald's Canada in 1967, he had worked hard to become part of his new community. He'd served as an active member of public organizations and local charities. This allowed George to get to know people, and it helped those people get to know George and learn to trust him and his company. As McDonald's Canada grew, George continued to give back. In 1981, George had become one of the founders of the international arm of McDonald's nonprofit charitable organization. The Ronald McDonald House had long been dedicated to creating and supporting programs that directly improved the health and well-being of children. Ronald McDonald Houses offered home-away-from-home facilities for families of children who were receiving hospital treatment for serious conditions. This is my friend Jenny. She's real sick. She had to go away to see the doctors at the big hospital. Her mommy and daddy went with her, and they're staying at Ronald McDonald's house. Lots of other families are staying there, too. So everyone feels a little better. George had helped open the first Ronald McDonald House outside the United States in Toronto. He was a firm believer in the power of McDonald's to help transform the lives of children and families in need all over the world, including in the USSR. In George's mind, if McDonald's was going to come to the Soviet Union, the company needed to serve the Soviet people. And in his meetings with local government agencies in Moscow, George made it clear that he was committed to establishing a local McDonald's charity as part of his plan. His passion for service went a long way in helping him earn the trust of the Moscow City Council and other municipal organizations. Through these efforts, ultimately, George secured the approval he needed at the local level. He was also able to identify the perfect location for his first store, Moscow's famous Pushkin Square. George loved the area, which was visited by thousands of residents and tourists, the perfect foot traffic George was hoping for. But as hopeful as George felt, he knew there was a long road still ahead. Even with the Ministry of Trade and local Moscow leaders on his side, George still didn't have a signed contract with the Soviet government. And he knew he couldn't get a deal done without the blessing of another powerful entity, the agency that oversaw all projects related to the USSR's food and dairy industries, the Soviet Ministry of Agriculture and Food. But before George could put together a pitch to win their support, he first had to deal with a problem that threatened to upend his plans and send him back home a failure. McDonald's had a tried-and-true playbook for how to run its international locations. The company typically worked with outside corporations like Coca-Cola to supply certain products for their restaurants abroad. But the bulk of their goods came from local, independent suppliers. McDonald's paid these suppliers for items like meat, baked goods, vegetables, and dairy. And McDonald's partnered with food processing plants to ensure that health and safety standards were met and that efficient supply lines were established. But as George started preparing his pitch for the Soviet Ministry of Agriculture and Food, he quickly realized that the standard McDonald's playbook wasn't going to work. Moscow did not have the food processing infrastructure in place to support even a single McDonald's location, let alone the additional stores George hoped to open down the line. The few food processing plants that did exist in the area were nowhere near sizable or sophisticated enough to handle McDonald's needs. And there were almost no established supply lines between the plants and Moscow city center. Problems stemmed from the fact that Moscow had never before been home to anything like McDonald's. 
Mass-producing food for restaurants that could serve tens of thousands of people a day simply was not part of the Soviet's agriculture and food industries. This obstacle was one that some of George's colleagues had predicted would upend his plan. Now George was beginning to worry they were right. He could talk all he wanted about opening a McDonald's in Pushkin Square, but he had no way to properly supply that location. As long as that fact remained, George knew the Ministry of Agriculture and Food would never sign off on a proposal. George was confronting a problem that no other international McDonald's had ever dealt with. The playbook was useless, so George decided to write a new one. Instead of relying on suppliers, George realized McDonald's needed to build and operate its own food processing plant just outside of Moscow, a move that would make McDonald's more vertically integrated than ever before. If George's plan came to fruition, the company would control every stage of production, from the processing plant down to the supply lines and into the Moscow restaurant. George knew this idea would add millions of dollars to the already growing cost of opening his Moscow store. He also knew the investment would be worth it in the long run. Luckily for George, McDonald's CEO Fred Turner agreed, and Fred was happy to help George secure approval from company leadership to build his processing plant. All that was left was for George to convince the powers that be at the Soviet Ministry of Agriculture and Food. When George returned to Moscow to make his pitch, he was confident he would succeed. But much to his surprise, ministry officials were not impressed with the idea of a food processing plant. They didn't seem to care that George's plan would create good jobs, affordable food, and a bump in Moscow's local economy. They wanted to know how his initiative directly benefited their ministry, the agricultural industry, and the state as a whole. George struggled to come up with the perfect answer. He'd been a successful salesman since he was 17, but now, for perhaps the first time in his career, he didn't know what to say. So since he couldn't solve the problem on his own, he decided to bring in help. Soon, George would summon to Moscow a crack team of McDonald's marketers. Together, they would reshape George's sales pitch, win over the Ministry of Agriculture and Food, and bring George within striking distance of a deal. Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code WONDERY. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy— You'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop.
It's a cold evening in early 1985 in George's room at the Hotel Metropole in Moscow. George stands near the kitchenette and pours himself a freshly brewed cup of coffee. As he blows on it to cool it down, he observes the small team of McDonald's marketers who are spread out on the floor hard at work. George called in these marketing experts to help him figure out a way to convince the Ministry of Agriculture and Food to sign off on his plan. But so far, they haven't come up with any good ideas, neither has George, despite the fact that they've been working around the clock. George is so exhausted that even the coffee isn't helping. Defeated, George sets his cup down and collapses on a nearby couch. Seeing George's deflated state, one of the young marketers leaps to his feet and tries to get his juices flowing. Hey, George, come on, we're not useless, we're just stuck. Uh, Tell me about it. Let's break the problem down. The young marketer sits down on the far end of the couch. Answer me this, why do you think these agriculture guys aren't buying your pitch? Well, I know why, they don't understand what this McDonald's food processing plant means. Okay, what does it mean? It means we'll be able to open a McDonald's in Moscow and then expand. No, 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 that's what it means to McDonald's. What does it mean to them? George thinks for a moment before answering. Well, it means jobs, affordable food. It means support for local charities. Everything I've been talking about for years, but no one's listening. Well, George, I think you might be missing something. Well, that's why I ask you guys to come here. What am I missing? Tell me. When we're working on a commercial, we don't try to win everybody over with a single spot. We focus on a specific target audience. Everyone loves jobs and charity work, right? But what about these guys at the Ministry of Agriculture? What do they love? Because right now, they're the ones you need to convince. George begins mulling it over. He gets to his feet and paces a few steps. Then he turns to the marketer and fires off a question. Tell me, what are McDonald's two biggest sellers? Burger and fries. Exactly, meat and potatoes. If we have a food processing plant, McDonald's will purchase meat and potatoes from Soviet farmers and ranchers, and we'll pay them well for it. With a fully supplied processing plant, we'll be able to expand and open more restaurants, which means we'll need more meat and potatoes. As George speaks, the marketer scribbles down notes. Yeah, 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 good, good, this is great. But how do we make our message simple and clear? I mean, we need to boil it down. We make McDonald's a friend to the Soviet farmer and rancher. And we show these muckety-mucks what's good for them is good for the ministry, good for the agriculture industry, and most importantly, good for the state. Can you work with that? Oh, definitely. Good, because we need to get out there and get a win. Immediately after stumbling upon this insight, George and his team got to work on a new presentation they could bring to the Soviet Board of Agriculture and Food. But they didn't just rely on George's words. Using their marketing expertise, the team set out to design a series of slick-looking McDonald's pamphlets and to use footage from previous projects to create a short film that showcased all that McDonald's had to offer. The film would feature shots of different types of people, all sharing meals at McDonald's. Mothers and fathers sitting with their children, smiling teenagers enjoying Big Macs with their grandparents, and workers sharing a lunch break together. In addition to happy customers, though, the marketing materials also featured the fields and farms that were the backbone of Soviet agriculture, highlighting that it was Soviet farmers and ranchers who would make all of these joyful interactions at McDonald's possible. The process of creating these marketing materials wasn't easy, and it took time. 
Often simple items they needed, like printing paper or a film projector, weren't available to them in the Soviet Union. So they called for help back home in the States and Canada. In spite of these delays, slowly but surely, everything started to fall into place. In the end, George was grateful that he had brought in the marketing team to help solve his problem. He enjoyed the collaborative process and working toward a common goal. It made him feel more alive. And for the first time in a long while, George was feeling confident he would succeed. Then, in March of 1985, George's initiative received an unexpected boost from a national tragedy. Good evening, I'm Ted Koppel, and this is Nightline. This time, the Soviets seem to have opted for a long-term change. The man who took charge within hours of Konstantin Chernyenko's death represents a new generation. After Mikhail Gorbachev took office, he spoke of change and his grandiose domestic plans. Many from the West, including George, interpreted this as an indication that Gorbachev would be more willing than his predecessors to welcome Western businesses. And in George's mind, Gorbachev couldn't have arrived at a better moment. With their marketing materials and their new pitch ready, George and his team headed to meetings at the Ministry of Agriculture and Food. There they showed Soviet officials their short film and handed out materials. While giving the presentation, George made it a point to say that he believed his plan for creating a McDonald's food processing plant was in line with the type of change that Mikhail Gorbachev often spoke about. It turned out that the new pitch and the new Soviet leadership proved to be the perfect combination. George and his team moved from one meeting to the next, making their presentation over and over as they worked their way up the ladder at the Ministry of Agriculture and Food. Since the group always traveled together and were obviously hungry for success, the Soviets started calling them the Wolf Pack. As the Wolf Pack gained ground, George wanted the higher-ups at the Ministry of Agriculture and Food to know that he and McDonald's planned to be in the Soviet Union for the long haul. He spoke of the food processing plant as a societal and financial investment in the Soviet Union. And George explained that over time, McDonald's would put tens of millions of dollars into operating the plant and helping the Soviet agricultural industry grow. With the help of the Wolf Pack, George's message finally hit home. Eventually, he gained approval from the Ministry of Agriculture and Food to seek out land for a processing plant. One Soviet official would later say, the plant built by McDonald's was concrete evidence of the company's desire to develop long-term, mutually beneficial cooperation within our country. By early 1988, George had secured the land and had worked with Soviet officials to establish future supply lines from the plant to Moscow. In so doing, he had cleared one of the last major hurdles to his ultimate goal, but he wasn't at the finish line yet. It was over 10 years since George took his first trip to the Soviet Union, and seven years since George started his campaign for McDonald's in Moscow. He'd engaged every part of the village just as he set out to do, but he'd done so one-on-one, -on -one, in silos. Now, George had to get the leaders of all of those ministries and organizations together in a single room. He needed them to officially approve his endeavor, hammer out any final details, and sign a contract with McDonald's. So George reached out to his contacts across the Soviet government. He told them he believed he had done everything required of him, and he said he hoped that they would finally bring the negotiations to an end and enter into what was sure to be a fruitful partnership. George waited for the Soviets to get back to him. And as always, he knew the process would take time. 
But George used this waiting period to make sure everything on his end would be ready to go the moment the Soviets said yes. And all the while, George stayed in contact with Fred Turner and the McDonald's board. Many of those who had doubted George were now happy to admit that they'd likely been wrong. But George knew nothing was official until all the stakeholders had signed on the dotted line. To that end, George worked closely with McDonald's attorneys to ensure that their final proposal strictly adhered to Soviet law. He had spent too much time and energy to let some minor legal detail trip him up at the last moment. And after combing through the proposal, McDonald's attorneys gave George the go-ahead. They assured him that they would be in Moscow at his side if and when the time came to sign a contract. And George was eager to close the deal. Then in April of 1988, George received a phone call at his hotel, informing him that the ministry and organization leaders were ready to come together for one last meeting in Moscow. But George knew that in the Soviet Union, nothing was ever that easy. He was certain that the purported final meeting would turn into a series of meetings that would drag on for days as the Soviets dissected every word and phrase. But George was not deterred by this. Instead, with the wolf pack standing behind him and his team of lawyers by his side, George marched into Moscow, ready to fight. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today, using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. It's April 1988 in an office in Moscow City Administration Building. George Kohan enters a conference room, followed by members of the Wolfpack and several McDonald's attorneys. George and the McDonald's team take their seats at the long wooden table across from their Soviet counterparts. George grabs a pitcher of water, pours himself a glass, and takes a big gulp. He is exhausted but invigorated. Finally, after years of consensus building, George is sitting in a room with the people who have the power to execute a contract between McDonald's and the USSR. And George is determined to get that contract signed today. So he leans forward and leads off the meeting. I want you all to know that we truly appreciate the warmth and hospitality you all have shown us throughout this very long process. We've all worked extremely hard to forge what I know will be a successful partnership. So... What do you say we sign the damn thing already? A majority of the officials in the room voice their approval, but one man raises his hand. Uh, Before we proceed, we need to make sure everything is perfect. There's a concern about the proposed location of your store in Pushkin Square. Well, I went through all the proper channels in Moscow to secure that location. Uh, And yet, concerns have been raised. Well, I think the location's perfect. There's plenty of foot traffic, Moscow residents and tourists alike. And when those people come to the square... They're going to see those golden arches, walk through our doors, and enjoy their very first Big Mac. I don't see a problem here. 
Pushkin Square is a symbol of our country's culture and history. What does it say to our people if the square is now home to an American fast food restaurant? George sighs. As far as he's concerned, Pushkin Square was a done deal, so he's frustrated. But he doesn't want to blow his top in the middle of one of the most important meetings of his life. So he pours another drink of water and calmly takes a sip before speaking. Well, I've spent a large portion of my career selling the concept of McDonald's to people all over the world. Some might think I'm overly optimistic, but I've always believed that McDonald's has the ability to be much more to a community than a fast food restaurant. George then rises to his feet and addresses the Soviet side of the room. During my time here, I've come to appreciate your country's history. And I know what Pushkin Square means to your people. But I believe what we're doing here in this room will be part of your country's history. We are not just opening a restaurant. We are demonstrating that our countries can work together even when we're at odds. And that working together can lead to great things. The Soviet official turns to his colleagues who huddle up and deliberate. Then after a brief discussion, the official turns back to George, stone-faced. There is one more issue. George sighs with dread at what might be coming next. But then the Soviet official smiles. When would you like to open your McDonald's, George? Wait, what? Pick an opening day, George. Does that mean you're ready to sign? It means we are ready. For a moment, George feels like the room is spinning. All of the time, work, and energy he put into this singular goal is finally paying off. Bursting with emotion, George blurts out his answer. (laughs) I want to open in January. January of 1990. Let's celebrate the new decade by bringing something new to the Soviet Union. With the date for the McDonald's opening set, the officials in the room signed the contract. And with a flick of a pen, George had accomplished something that most thought was impossible. And as proof that he was the person who had made it happen, George would be credited as the founder of the company that would come to be known as McDonald's in Russia. But George had little time to revel in his success. His opening date of January 1990 gave him less than two years to get everything ready. Still, George took a brief moment to celebrate with the Wolfpack and their new Soviet partners before getting back to work. With a contract in place and the Moscow opening on the horizon, George now had to oversee multiple projects at once. He and McDonald's leadership worked with architects and engineers to get the food processing plant, nicknamed the McComplex, up and running. Simultaneously, he got construction on the restaurant in Pushkin Square underway. George knew it would be expensive. He estimated that before the first location ever opened, McDonald's expenditures in the Soviet Union would reach close to $50 million, over $120 million today. Still, George was confident that the company's return on investment would eventually reach into the billions. When George first started his journey in Moscow, his colleagues had given him a list of reasons why he would fail. Near the top of that list was the question of the Soviet workforce. Many at McDonald's were skeptical of Soviet employees. They had no experience in the fast food or customer service industries. They had never greeted and served thousands of people with a smile for hours on end. They had never had to work at the pace required to effectively run a fully operational McDonald's. The combination of these facts made many at McDonald's wonder if Soviet workers were untrainable. But as George started recruiting Soviet workers as future managers, cooks, and front-of-house staff, he was impressed with how eager they were to work hard and learn new skills. 
When George assembled his Moscow team, he quickly realized that his colleagues had been wrong about Soviet workers, and he was confident they would achieve great success. By 1989, the news of the McDonald's Moscow opening was generating significant buzz. George was interviewed by several Soviet newspapers, and he was invited to be a guest on a Soviet news show. George was even given the chance to meet with Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. Gorbachev would not publicly embrace Western capitalism. But in private, he made it clear to George that he believed having a company like McDonald's in Moscow was positive for the Soviet people and his country's relations with the West. But as was often the case during George's battles behind the Iron Curtain, just when he thought everything was in order, an unexpected wrinkle would present itself. George had worked hard to win over groups at every level of the Soviet bureaucracy. He had wooed the Ministry of Trade, the Ministry of Agriculture and Food, and several organizations in Moscow. But as opening day approached, for reasons George would never discover, several local utilities and construction agencies in the city threw a wrench into the works. George struggled to get these agencies to complete even the most basic tasks. They stalled on pouring concrete for the roads in and out of the Nick complex, and they refused to fix electrical issues that kept surfacing at the plant and at the McDonald's location in Pushkin Square. No matter what George did or who he met with, he couldn't make headway. The problems were so frequent and severe, George feared he might have to push back opening day, an outcome that might jeopardize his credibility with the Soviets. But then, once again, global events stepped in when U.S. President Ronald Reagan called for the destruction of the Berlin Wall. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. In November 1989, the Berlin Wall came crumbling down, and the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe opened up to the West in a way that hadn't occurred since before the Cold War. George had been working to erect the Golden Arches over Moscow for more than a decade. During that time, his greatest obstacle had always been the Soviet bureaucracy. But in the aftermath of the Berlin Wall coming down, that very same bureaucracy rallied behind George in an unprecedented fashion. Not only did the utility and construction agencies suddenly fall in line, but officials and agencies that George had once had to bend over backwards to win over were suddenly going out of their way to make sure George had everything he needed. At first, George was thrilled. He had the unequivocal support of the government and a free and clear path to opening day. But as had often been the case during his time in the Soviet Union, nothing was as it seemed. Soon, George realized that the sudden and ardent support of the Soviet government came at a cost. As Soviet officials pushed to make sure McDonald's was ready for opening day, they drove the workers at the McComplex to the brink. The Soviets succeeded in finishing construction on the plant, but the long hours and rigorous work they demanded alienated George's workers. Before long, George would be confronted with the prospect of those workers giving up and walking away. In the race to opening day, George would have to do everything in his power to keep the over-eager Soviet officials at bay and convince his workers to fall in line and finish the job. 
from Wondery, this is episode three of the McDonald's Invasion for Business Movers. In the next episode, with opening day looming and morale at an all-time low, George once again relies on his people skills to rally the team and pull off the perfect opening. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Business Movers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you'd like to learn more about George Cohan and McDonald's, we recommend To Russia With Fries by George Cohan with David McFarland, Grinding It Out by Ray Kroc and Robert Anderson, and McDonald's Russia Managing a Crisis by Young Mi Moon and Carrie Herman. This episode contains reenactments and dramatized details. And while in most cases we can't know exactly what happened, all our dramatizations are based on historical research. Business Movers is hosted, edited, and executive produced by me, Lindsey Graham, for Airship. Audio editing and sound design by Molly Bach. Music by Lindsey Graham. This episode is written and researched by Michael Federico. Executive producers are Stephen Walters for Airship, Aaron O'Flaherty, Jenny Lauer-Beckman, and Marshall Louie for Wonder. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us in Pura. Promise to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pure. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery+. Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.